Hey Hannah. Hey Kate. What you got going on today? Uh, today I am enjoying a, a little protein shake post workout. Oh. Um, one of my favorite combos. Uh, just you know, protein powder, frozen banana, a little bit of milk, some water, and the additional liquid I like to add is coffee. Oh. I love coffee. <laughs> <laughs> So good. Yeah, just kind of like a little vanilla, vanilla coffee. The banana often doesn't have a lot of strong flavor, I feel like. It just adds some good sweetness mm. and iciness, so it keeps it creamy. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's my favorite good. favorite hack to smoothies is, which is not really a hack. Everybody knows to add frozen bananas to <laughs> smoothies. <laughs> but that's my favorite thing, favorite ingredient to a smoothie. But it's quite delicious. What about you? What do you have? I just have some simple ginger tea. Mm. Also awesome. very good. Delicious. Yeah. Good for your digestion. Mm-hmm. And just peace of mind. Yeah. It's one of those really nice, like, aromatic teas. Oh, yeah. Like. Mm. Okay. Ready to get into it? Yes. Howdy, Howdy from Houston. Houston. I'm Kate. And I'm Hannah. And today we are going to be talking about PFAs, or also known as forever chemicals. Yes. Perfluoral alcohol and polyfluoral alcohol substances yeah is what pfa stands for yeah pfas pfas one more time perfluoral alcohol or polyfluoral alcohol substances pfas yeah forever substances forever chemicals forever chemicals okay so i don't know if it's pfas or pfas I think we're going to go with PFAs. That's the easiest to say. For the purpose of this episode. Let's stick to it. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> to reduce confusion. <laughs> um, so what are PFAs, Kate? So PFAs are really strong carbon fluorine bonds that are used when you want something that's resistant to heat or water or oil so a lot of times these substances are used as like non-stick coatings maybe for a frying pan um they're also used in waterproof textiles food packaging firefighting foams things like that where you want something that might be heat water oil oil resistant um the catch though with these is they don't break down naturally in the environment. We were kind of looking at the half-life right. before this episode and uh, half-life just meaning the time it takes for whatever substance you have to break down into half of what it originally was. Mm-hmm. And the half-life for these substances we couldn't find. so. We're guessing it's a pretty long time. Yeah, most sources we found didn't give a number, just said a very, very long half-life. <laughs> yeah, so that's not good. Not great, not a great place to be. So this is all a discussion based on an article we found in the New England Journal of Medicine. Mm-hmm. It's a perspective article called Enhancing Regulations to Reduce Exposure to PFAs, Federal Action on quote unquote forever chemicals. So the good news is that the federal government as of March of this year, March mm-hmm. 2023, is taking action to try to regulate and reduce environmental exposure to PFAs. The caveat with this is that a bunch of different industries are going to be involved because a bunch of different industries regulate what PFAs are involved in in, if agencies. that makes sense. Agencies. 
yeah, a bunch of different agencies regulate what PFAs are involved in. So, for example, the Environmental Protection Agency regulates public drinking water, but then the FDA regulates bottled water. And then if you maybe live a little more rurally or whatever your situation and you have a private well that you get your water from, there's no regulation on that. Right. So a lot of different agencies are involved in the making of regulations for PFAs. So a lot of cooks in the kitchen, a lot of cooks in the kitchen, a lot of opinions and voices Mm -hmm. and red tape. So it's great that they're starting to take action towards this, but um, I could see it being a bit of a mess. Right. And it looks like, too, reading through this article, that they have tried to make uh, regulations in the past, um, but it just hasn't been um, the right approach, it sounds like. Um, Specifically, you talk about the EPA putting regulations on specific PFAs. So I think it said something about six PFAs that they have regulations on right now. So it seems like they'll they'll find a PFA, they'll put a regulation on it saying, like, hey, here is the max amount that you can have in your product. Um, And that regulation will get passed. But then members of the industry will just find ways around this regulation by one of two common ways, which is one being they'll just find a new PFA to use and just stop using that one because they're all very similar in structure. And so you can kind of get the same um, properties of the PFA of using something else, using a different PFA than the one that has a regulation on it. Right. Something just slightly different right. so that you don't meet the regulation. Right. It's not, yeah. it's not technically the same one. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and then the other, the other way around it is um, by using a combination or a mixture of a couple of different PFAs or seven or eight different PFAs so that each individual PFA doesn't get close to the max dose, but then you have a combination of it that is oftentimes going to be over the max dose. Right. So, and, and just a comment too on the max dose or what they call a reference dose. Um, this is the amount that is the amount of PFAs that aren't associated with appreciable risk of deleterious effects in a person's lifetime, which is slightly different than saying it's a safe amount. Safe amount implies like, hey, this is okay, nothing will happen, you'll be totally fine. But a reference dose is saying like, this amount won't show appreciable effects. Like it won't show the like really bad things happening, which is like, there's there's just like a slight difference in definition there. Right, know? because they can't say any dose of these kinds of chemicals in your body is safe because right. it's not. But they also want to not scare everyone Mm -hmm. and cause widespread panic that, oh, I have these chemicals in me and now I'm going to get sick and I'm going to sue whoever X, Y, Z. Yeah. So like this amount doesn't have evidence that it causes bad things essentially. Yeah. Which is kind of like guilty, not guilty. Yeah. (laughs) Exactly. Innocent. Right. Exactly. Um, so yeah, I thought that was an interesting, um, approach that they've had in the past on trying to regulate PFAs. Um, so we'll see kind of where they try and take this in the future. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully with an organized effort though, Mm -hmm. by multiple agencies, I'm sure at the beginning, like I said, it might be a little messy, but hopefully they can come to agreements and actually crack down on some of these different chemicals. Yeah. I, 
I will say I'm a little skeptical, to be honest, (laughs) about uh, being able to organize something like that. Um, But it does say in the article, too, the approach that maybe should be the next step in finding a solution is instead of regulating PFAs um, by the individual chemical and saying, okay, now this chemical, we're going to put regulations on it. And now this next PFA, we're going to put regulations on it. And this next PFA, instead of having that approach, just saying, um, let's have regulations on PFAs as a class, as like a class of chemicals. Um, that is promising. Right. So that would be like a better approach because you can get everything all encompassing, including, you know, new discoveries of different types of compounds within the PFA category um, that would really prevent members of the industry from just bopping from one PFA to the next um, to avoid regulation. Um, regulation, what's the word I'm looking for? Regulation. Restrictions? Restrictions. To avoid regulation restrictions. Um, so that would be one direction to go. Uh, but the other side of it is like, it's not just the agencies in America that need to do something about this. Right. right. Because this is happening all over the world. This is every country's industry. And we all know that like just, we all know that just looking at, you know, pollution statistics as an example, like, yes, of course, America is a contributor to that, but other countries, other major big countries um, are also massive contributors to the world pollution. Um, and it's the same thing with PFAs. Right. So can't just be an effort from America. It'd have to be like a worldwide effort to really see like a difference in regulation of this kind of stuff. So, though I am skeptical, maybe it's the cynic side of me. <laughs> yeah. Um, it would be a really cool thing to see if like, that's something that, as a world population, you could come together and make a difference with. Yeah, well, and I think awareness is the first step. Yeah. Because change, especially on a global scale, mm-hmm. always takes time. And so, awareness, step one, getting people to know that, hey, there are these things out there that are going to stay here forever mm-hmm. and we should care about it because we should care about the earth and our bodies. And our bodies, yeah. Because yeah. this stuff isn't just affecting future, future, future generations. This is affecting us now. Right. You know? Now and future. And future. Right. Because right. I think it's easy for people, uh, you know, myself included, I'm sure, to look at some of the ways the world is changing or some of the things that um, are affecting, you know, our crops or our food sources, our water sources, and, and look at it as like, well, is that affecting me right now today? And if you say no, it's, it's an easy thing to just put in the back of your head right. and not, not think about the future of it all. But this is something that uh, is affecting us now. Because exposure has been linked to things like thyroid dysfunction, liver disease, lower birth weight, premature death, um, impaired vaccine response, high cholesterol, cancers, all sorts of things. Um, and clearly they haven't come out with like a level, like we said, that is considered a safe amount. Um, and part of that is just, of course, we would need more research and um, more investigation right. into PFAs, which it might be kind of hard to do that because like we said before, how long is the half-life on these things? You know, I feel like yeah. it's just... The amount of time that we have been aware that this is a problem, sometimes you just need, you just need time to see the actual effects. 
especially considering the ethics of a lot of research. You know, you don't want to intentionally <laughs> expose somebody to something that's bad just for the sake of seeing how it affects them. Um, so just taking a look at the population as a whole over a course of however long it takes to understand the effects of the PSAs. Yeah, exactly. And that's something they brought up in the article where they were saying that they can only do observational studies, really, yeah. because... Unless you do it in animals, mm-hmm. it's we now have regulations on ethics, which right. is a really good thing. That is good. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I guess we will see in hopefully not too many years, yeah. but it could take a while to see exactly mm-hmm. what um, what diseases are linked to PFAs. Right. Yeah. Something interesting, too, I found with the healthcare costs of these are... The article mentioned that the healthcare costs at least $5.5 billion every year in the U.S. Due to, right. due to healthcare concerns from exposure to PFAs. Which I found that number to be interesting, too. I tried to read through um, the referenced article um, that they had in this article where they got that number um, to try and understand how they calculated that because... That's something that you know that we do in our classes pretty regularly um, with our engineering side of our studies. A lot of times we are looking at the potential addressable market for um, a clinical need, you know, a disease state, uh, and that often includes like how much money is spent on this problem every year. Um, so I'm interested to to really see what that formula looks like. Like, where did they get, what was it, 5.5 billion? Right. Yeah, how'd they get that, you know? Yeah, I would be really interested, too, um, for the same reason. And also, like, that's a really big number. <laughs> it's a lot of dollars. <laughs> yeah, that's a lot of dollars for something that's not, like, heart disease or cancer right. or something. Like, that's very commonly discussed. Mm-hmm. I would agree. So. So something to look into. Yeah, for sure. More research. Um, Seems to be the theme of many of these discussions. Yeah. More yeah. research. Yeah. <laughs> Another thing this article was talking about is that doctors may now have a responsibility to screen people for PFAs mm-hmm. in our plasma and blood concentrations. And this could be a similar protocol to screening for things like lead and mercury. Mm. But at the same time, doctors... Just like as someone who's going to be a doctor, I am so excited to take care of people. And it's really helpful when people also take charge of taking care of themselves. That definitely helps doctors. That helps doctors help patients. Right. I think, too, when it comes to deciding the national standard on what is considered a big enough problem to screen for, there's a lot of debate. Right. Um, There's always going to be two sides to that argument, no matter what the topic is of what should be screened. You know, should should people be getting screened for colon cancer at a certain age, for HPV or whatever, you know, for whatever the screening concern is, there are always two sides saying, like, people should be screened all the time or at an earlier age, or people saying there's no need to add that to the cost because it can get expensive. You know, the more screenings you're doing, that's another test that you have to add to your annual physical physical or whatever time frame you would be doing that, that kind of screening. So we do have to be realistic about like how many screenings can we actually be doing regularly? Um, that 
is affordable enough for patients. Right. You know? And what are the most important screenings? Maybe right. Too? Yeah. So what would, I'm just, I would be curious to see like, what would be the cost of integrating a regular screening for something like PFAs? Um, and if that's something that we could feasibly do and add to an annual physical or something, like why not? You know? Yeah. I think it would be great to add that, to be honest, if it's feasible. Yeah. And I think like some ways that we can try to reduce our exposure is just using filtered water because the water sources are a common source of PFAs. Mm -hmm. Um, Oh yeah, I did see in here that it said, what, 200 million Americans, which is roughly two thirds of the American population, has contaminated drinking water. Like that blew my mind. Yeah. I was like, that, that's a lot of Americans. (laughs) Yeah, I did too. And that's so bad that (laughs) our government is letting us drink that kind of drinking water. Oh, yikes. Yikes. But, so get yourself a good water filter. Mm-hmm. Um, and something else, I don't know if this would have to do with PFAs or more along the lines of microplastics, but using glass Tupperware mm. and glasses for, like, drinking water. Glasses and ceramics for, like, drinking water and mm. other drinks because, you mm. know, Hannah and I are <laughs> super into all the cool drinks. <laughs> so... Just like personally, me being mindful of choosing a glass instead of maybe a plastic cup. Yeah, um, and when I see plastic use in general, it's exactly like a good idea. Yeah, um, recycling when you can and all that. Um, but you know, at the end of the day, um, I think it's important to remember these are some of the problems that we face in the world that are just big problems. Right. Um, you can always do your part as an individual to make a small difference, um, but. Being, just being in an okay state of, hey, I'm not going to be the one to make the massive wave to change the world with something as big of an issue like this, you know, and just being okay with that. Right. And we're all living, breathing. We're going to live yeah. long lives. This isn't going to be something that's, okay, well, you have until you are 27 to live. And that's <laughs> it. It's not something like that. And so just... Just being more aware of this, I think, is always good Mm -hmm. and makes you a more well-rounded human, maybe. Yeah, being aware of taking care of yourself the best that you can. Yeah. Um, I think that's always better than living in ignorance. Exactly. So, we're here to educate. Hopefully, you learn. And learn ourselves, too. And learn. (laughs) Educate and learn. Yes, Yes. exactly. Because we do do a little bit of prep before this these episodes and we really enjoy it mm-hmm. we get to learn a lot yeah so we definitely do it's very fun yeah and that's why we want to share yeah so anyway we hope you enjoyed and we'll do a little research on your own figure out more yeah about pfas and maybe some microplastics right know. yeah if this sparked your curiosity there you go and if you'd like to reach out to us we would love to hear from you mm-hmm. the link to our email is in the show notes it's howdy from houston podcast at gmail.com you can go ahead and copy that link put it into your email and send us an email we would love to hear from you any thoughts any concerns anything you liked intelligent thoughts whatever intelligent thoughts or not so intelligent thoughts if you want to send that too yeah good jokes jokes Um, i always love a good joke (laughs) Random curiosities. Whatever you'd like to say. Whatever you'd like to share. Yeah. Well, let's call it a day. Let's call it a day. We'll catch you next time. See ya.